This your boy Savon checking in from the Living Room Podcast. And I got a brand new episode for y'all, the people, for the culture. And I got a special guest checking in with me. And we're going to talk about something that's, uh, you know, very near and dear into my community as far as the black community for black women and other minority women as well. And just women in general. And it's, uh, it's the fibroids disease. And um, I have a special guest. He goes by the name of Dr. Katz Nelson. So I really want y'all to really listen into the information he shares. And, you know, check in with me on this one, all right? Hello, another episode of the Living Room Podcast. I have a very special guest here with me. He goes by the name of Dr. Katz Nelson. Thank you. It's a pleasure having you here with me. Thank you for inviting. No problem, no problem. We have a lot to uh, talk about. And, you know... I call you Dr. Katz Nelson. That's what you go by, of course. That's your name, of course. But you wear a lot of hats. Can you give me a, a just a brief description of everything that you know, title-wise, that you that comes with your name? Uh, sure. My, my name is Dr. Jan Katz Nelson. I'm a, I was a cardiovascular surgeon for 20 plus years, and I'm a, uh, right now a CEO, founder and CEO, co-founder and CEO of USA Clinics Group which includes USA Bank Clinics, USA Vascular Centers, USA Fibroid Centers, and USA Intervention Oncology Centers. And also a co-founder of uh, Fibroid Fighters, non-for-profit organization promoting education and research of uh, fibroid disease. Great, great. And you know, um, you got a lot of great things going. And one thing I really want to touch down on and speak with you about was in regards to the Fibroids uh, Fighters Foundation that you have going. Can you tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, how that got started, what motivated you to start that, and how it's currently going? Great question. So a few years ago, we started, uh, about five, six years ago, we started treating, uh, focusing on fibroid disease. Fibroid disease is a very, very common disease. Up to 80% of women uh, get fibroid disease by age of uh, 50. And uh, even it starts earlier between ages of 18 to 30, 26% black uh, women have this disease by age of 35, 40, 60% of women and black women and by age of 50, 80%. And with white women, it's a women it's seven, uh, 13th, 70%, also very, very common. So we start treating this disease with the innovative uh, method called treatment office-based called uterine fiber embolization. And we were, sh- we were shocked to find out that nobody knows about this. Women suffer a million, tens of millions of women, about 40 million women suffer in 20, 30 million, very symptomatic, and they just suffer or undergo hysterectomy. And, and we, we, we were thinking, what can we do to promote awareness, educate, and make sure people don't suffer in silence by themselves? And, and that's why we thought we can't do it alone. We need to bring this knowledge and share and, and use other, everyone together to do that. And that's why we created Fibroid Fighters. We have ambassadors. We have many uh, great people that uh, uh, women and men that help us uh, spread awareness of fibroid disease and not necessarily how liberal this, but how it's definitely possible to stop suffering and cure this. Got it. You know, this is something that is now um, 
conversations are garnered towards it. There's more women that are actively speaking about it and raising awareness due to them uh, experiencing fibroid disease or knowing somebody who has. Um, I have a question. Why is it more prevalent and common within Black women? It's a good question. We, we don't know exact answer, but uh, we think it's something related to uh, genetics and hormonal status. It's, it's unfortunate. This is a common, like all women have a risk, but in, in the black women, unfortunately, it starts earlier. They grow faster, uh, seems to be more symptomatic or maybe because they're bigger, but it's symptomatic. And it just affects life more. When you have a 26% of young women uh, uh, affected life with a painful, prolonged menstrual period, a lot of bleeding, weakness, maybe even anemia. Many women take uh, iron, iron pills as a, and they think it's a supplement, it's like a vitamin. No, it's not. It's a disease called anemia. Some even get blood transfusion. And some women even get hysterectomy, basically castrated in the age of 20s. Absolutely horrible. And, they, and, and also what's said that black community, but I think everywhere, uh, women not kind of used to talk about this. So when, when you think it's uh, something unusual, you think about that maybe it's a disease, abnormal, right? But if everyone around you, uh, suffer from this, your mom, your grandma, your sister, your aunt, everyone has, like in the black community, very, very common, then you think it's normal. So there's a tendency to normalize abnormal, not call it disease, not understand, think it's a you know natural condition and it is what it is and a woman meant to suffer. It's not. And that's why it's critically important to, to understand in differentiation, what's normal menstrual period, what's nor normal inconvenience, and what's abnormal. And the reality is, is really simple. If it affects your life, stop you from doing the regular things, stop your a normal function, trust me, it's abnormal. Got it. And you know, what advice do you have for individuals dealing with this um with this disease and the early stages what may they do to uh you know get on top of things and making sure that they're you know being seen about this type of uh disease that, that that's occurring within them so what what really uh, moved me to focus on this is the realizing that uh, I know it's a secret. I, I know the special thing that will miraculously, like almost snap of the fingers, will make everyone feel better. So there was a technique treatment called uterine fiber embolization that was known since 90s, a previous century. Some women were not even born at that time. And that's how long is known, but it's very underutilized. So basically, what it is, imagine the fibroid disease like a tumors, you know, benign tumors are growing inside the uterus. And the more you feed them, the more they grow, like a weed, right, on, on the field. So the, the treatment is very cool. It's, it's a bringing the catheter through the wrist, like through the wrist, and, and through the long catheter towards the origin of the artery blood vessel that feeds this, this tumors, like, and, and stop clogging. 
So like if you don't water the plant, it dies and shrinks. Exactly the same thing happens uh, with the fibroids. When we clog this artery called embolization, closing the artery, you know, through the one millimeter in diameter catheter, they just shrink and get absorbed by the body. That's the treatment is done in the office under either, you know, light sedation, even local anesthesia, takes 30 minutes. An hour, two hours later, patient goes home. No more suffering. No more two, one or two or three weeks uh, in a menstrual period, anemia, weakness, inability to function. And I knew that I saw in front of my eyes how those women get better and nobody seemed to know and care. And, and that's what moved me and our team is like, wow, we know something everyone should know. And we start working on this, you know, with our doctors and with the fibroid fighters and ambassadors to spread the word. And it's covered by insurance, you know, well-proved, amazing, covered by insurance, just one phone call away. Got it. And so I have a question, since this treatment is something that's available, approved, and, you know, something that, you know, seems to be a, a speedy procedure as such, why isn't it, um, really spoken of commonly as opposed to women that go and go to the extremes of getting hysterectomies in, the, in their 20s or um, other things that may cause, you know, traumatic experiences for them later on. Um, why, why isn't this spoken about more? That's the heart of the matter. Why people don't know. And, and I think it's probably many reasons. One reason is that um, it's not the most exciting topic to discuss, you know, and people don't feel comfortable sometimes to talk in the family and there's many, many women normalize, as I said, abnormal because they don't realize that many doctors don't ask those questions. How was your period? How much of, some doctors think that's, uh, that, you know, period can be heavy and, and women can have a name it. Don't, don't think about also have a kind of guilty of normalizing. Also, there's definitely a role of, a, there was study, um, the outcome and treatment recommendation depends where you're going. If you go to gynecologist, you'll get treatments that gynecologists do, which is either hysterectomy or myomectomy or mild uh, you know, modification of those because they do surgeries. If you'll go to interventional radiologist, then, uh, then you have a most probably uterine fibroid embolization. The problem is how will you go to interventional radiologist? Nobody almost ever heard of this specialty. You know, and, and that's one of the things that uh, you just need to ask, but People don't ask. I mean, that's that's ridiculous thing. You know, technology exists, covered by insurance, well defined. There's a bunch of societies that talk about this that that's they think it's a standard of care. But but it's like speaking different language in different country. This society is Society of Interventional Radiologists. They have they disconnected from patients. They don't see patients. They behind the scenes have specialty in the hospital. So that's a disconnect. You have the people that do this, 
use this technology to do treatment, but they're disconnected from patients. And patients go to other doctors that by specialty, they just don't use this technology. And, and all other doctors probably, most of the cases don't ask enough those questions because women don't complain. So I hope it's not too confusing, but it's definitely something can be done about this. Awareness, awareness, awareness. And then doctors will be asking, women will be complaining, doctors will be asking right questions and gynecologists and everyone will recommend the right things. And, um, you know, just one more question I have on this topic. Um, what is currently being done by uh, this movement that you started to further on bring out the awareness of the fibroid disease? Um, what, what is anything that we could be looking forward to uh, down the pipeline as far as awareness or, or things that you have going with this? So we work on different levels. We work one-on-one -on -one with the patients and, and engaging them and asking them to share um, their knowledge with everyone they know. And also a patient that had like fibroid survivals, kind of we call them the one that had fibroid disease, suffered but got the treatment, spread the word that how well they, they do. And other thing is we uh, support and work towards uh, bringing more information, support the bill that was introduced by Yvette Clark uh, you know, after uh, Representative uh, Johnson many, many years ago, and also introduced to Congress by Beth Clark and and, uh, um, and to uh, Senate, but Kamala Harris last year, and it was reintroduced again this year. And it's a fibroid bill that called for support of in the research and education of fibroid disease. It, it's a it's shocking that most common disease that women suffer, by far most common, with the damages, at least, you know, counted damages in a range of 20, 25% of diabetes has an NIH grant in the 17 million a year, 1.7, sorry, 1.7. Seven. It's like a drop in the bucket. Seems like nobody cares. So we do studies that we self-fund, we do studies to bring the knowledge and uh, we'll be publishing the data that we uh, um, we, we gathered after many many thousands of, of patients we've seen and treated that have uh, maybe 10 to 15 times better results than anything ever published in the literature so from you know patient by patient education treatment and asking to to working uh, supporting the bill in congress and senate and talking to leaders in the community, engaging uh, ambassadors, uh, uh, TV personalities, actresses, and, and uh, many others to spread talk. Talk, talk, and not being afraid to speak about the subject and bring awareness. Got it, got it. That's great because this is, a, like I said, this, this is a topic that has now became something that women are slowly or gradually becoming more comfortable with speaking about sharing their experiences and awareness about fibroid disease for a long time you know women i knew um may have developed it and didn't even know much about it and it scared them because some of them were thinking hey what if i can never have kids what how does this affect me long term these are thoughts and ideas that women that i know personally um 
and, and by the by the way, the worst complication uh, of this disease is not just the habit, prolonged menstrual period, anemia, and other. It's infertility. The That's the fibroid disease is the number one reason for spontaneous miscarriages, spontaneous abortion. Why? You can imagine if you have a tumor, something a bulge, something inside that can be the size of a grape in the uterus. Do you think there's a space for baby? There's not. You know, they're competing for space, for blood, for other things, and that leads to spontaneous abortion. So it's a number one reason for losing babies. And after treatment, you after hysterectomy, you can have a baby, right? Normal uterus. Right. But after uterine fabric embolization, you can have a baby. It even improves fertility. So it's a, and women don't know. So much we can help. Yes, and you know, there, there has been even an alarming rate of, of women that are now coming about and speaking about uh, their issues with infertility and movements and organizations are set up to bring awareness about women with infertility issues. And this was one of the things that were brought about was, you know, this fibroid disease. And like I said, more women are now starting to gradually become more open to speaking about it. And I just think that you know, the awareness and the information is very important to put out there in the community, especially amongst the Black community of women, because they're the ones that are mostly, you know, affected by this disease. So what you're doing is very great, and the information that um, that you're sharing um, is great as well. Um, Dr. Katz Nelson, you came from, uh, you, you were very, very um, successful in what you do. Can you give me your start of how, how, you ended up coming this far within your practice? So I, I started as a heart surgeon. Uh, it was ultimate miracle of uh, kind of making a difference by stopping the heart, a sick heart, and, and then fixing it, and, uh, and it, then restarting again, and it works better than before. That was amazing. You know, the blood vessels, coronary arteries, valves, it was absolutely amazing. And uh, and I was always fascinated. How can we help someone with a less uh, surgery? So we I did a minimal base about surgeries, like heart surgery through three-inch tiny incision, and then there were treatment percutaneous. And I started Friday afternoon when my wife opened her office. We together kind of added my practice in the office. We start treating varicose veins, venous insufficiency, congestion in the legs that before was treated with the stripping. You know, it's, it's a barbaric treatment that was done for hundred years. And minimal invasive, instead of treatment in the hospital with a three month recovering pain, was turned into a few minute treatment in the office and like almost lunch or, or almost drive by. I mean, they come, get the treatment, go home or go back to work. So it was firsthand experience that there's definitely a, a huge difference between what was gold standard, what people did before, and what technology can bring. It's like a driving carriage or, 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 or self-driving car, something like this, a wireless phone. And so there's a lot of it in the medicine that we start to look at what, what can we bring to patients that need it. So we start over, let's start in Chicago, half a day a week, then, then we more, and then we're at office in New York and Brooklyn. And then more in Boston and LA. And we have almost 100, I think 98 locations in 18 states. 
uh, and almost 40 in New York metropolitan area, mostly in underserved communities, Bronx, Queens, uh, Brooklyn, uh, Washington Heights, Manhattan. So why is that? Most of our doctors are cardiac surgeons, vascular surgeons, conventional radiologists, conventional cardiologists, doctors that enjoyed and dedicate the life to make the most difference. Where do you make the most difference in medicine? When someone's sicker than average, when you have a more sick and, and undertreated patients, and then kind of we, we gravitated towards areas that needed the most help. And, and that's what really brings joy to see how we can transform and help one patient at a time one family at the time, one community at the time. And uh, we say that it's just very beginning. So much can be done to, to bring health and improve health equity in the communities. Yes, yes, indeed. And the, the Chicago Heart Institute um, that you founded, um, can you tell me anything about how that's currently going and how has that bloomed from when you first started that to where it's at now? Okay, so, you know, I was a heart surgeon for 21 years and that was a part of uh, our, uh, you know, that was a Chicago Heart Institute. And then we started uh, vein clinics, you know, Chicago Vein Clinic and USA Vein Clinics. But, you know, interesting timing of your question. We're gonna restart working more on, on the heart as well. Think about our organization as bringing uh, top-notch uh, health care into the communities. And I think we'll be starting very soon with a, a screening early detection of, uh, uh, of heart disease and cancer in the community. It's something that uh, you know, will be going this year. And, uh, and I think it will be a nice kind of circle where I started, what we've done, and now we're coming back to those uh, you know, heart conditions. Great. Um, you know, we, we've experienced COVID, you know, we're still going through the COVID era right now. And there are a lot of people that have developed, you know, um, heart issues or had pre-existing health conditions that have worsened those issues with COVID. How have you seen the effects of that, um, throughout this time? Great question. COVID definitely, um, it, it it made things that were not as clear, very clear, you know, the com underserved community, people that suffered the most, you know, the way we behave, the way we eat. For example, in the beginning of COVID, there were so many um, blood clots that people experienced. Part was the COVID and probably the virus. Part was inactivity and eating a, a food, stored food that, you know, that, that has is very salty because people were at home that just bought tons of food and, and, and uh, there was all salty food. And in our veins, when we have congestion and blood flow a little slower, there's a tendency to form clot. So sitting, not walking, misbehaving, eating salty food, uh, drinking a lot of that, that gets uh, you know, those clots. So it just reminds, so in the first uh, few weeks, we remind everyone, please sit well, walk, move, even at home, even around kitchen, just be very, very, very active. 
also, it's definitely was a terrible for women that uh, with a fibroid disease, uh, you know, because even in the regular life, it, it's difficult, you know, they suffer pain, uh, going to the doctors, sometimes going to urgent care, scared, get reassured, you know, get some help. When you're afraid to go to the doctor, afraid to go to the hospital, because it's, it's simply dangerous. Simply meeting other people at that point was dangerous. It's, a, it's so much uh, to stress and, and limitation of life. So there were good things that we learn and influence us moving forward. Bringing telemedicine, ability to communicate with patients remotely, ability for people to understand the value of health and how they need to be proactive and be vested in the health. So, you know, that's life. There's a good, you know, bad and good. And, and I think we'll be uh, drawing many lessons from this terrible and stressful period of everyone's lives. Uh, but, you know, I, I think as a healthcare organization, we, we should come out with the lessons, how better we can serve our patients and communities. Right. And so this COVID disease, there's a lot of, you know, new um, research that's being found and, you know, tests and everything that's still being done. Why is it, um, if, you, if you could answer, um, that this COVID disease affects some, some, you know, the heart of some individuals that probably didn't have pre-existing health conditions? How is it that it could take effect of that um, so commonly from what we're starting to see now? So... Most common organ that suffer is the lungs, okay? It's not heart, but, but for some patients, there's inflammation in the heart as well, and that makes heart a little swollen and thicker and, and less functional. Um, and uh, I think fortunately, we know better how to treat it. Uh, many times heart condition was secondary to lung failure. So mm. mechanically, think about this way. Lungs uh, is the organ that oxygenate the blood. So it's basically a, a, a pump. You know, the blood is pumped through the lungs and it's aerated. Um, with the, and the, so in order for blood to go through the lungs, a blood vessels in the lungs need to be quite open. If there's any problems with the lung inflammation or anything, the blood vessels can be more constricted, closed, and that creates tremendous pressure. Like when you pump into something and blood doesn't go through, and that's what happens with the heart. And it used to pump well, and it cannot because too much pressure. Also, the heart by itself was affected by, by the virus and inflammation. And it was very, very, very confusing and new for everyone to understand what's going on, what's first, what's second, what leads to that. That was, I think, terrible. And, and, and suddenly the, the healthcare system was overwhelmed by this new disease, lack of uh, you know, history and best practices. Uh, and, uh, and that was heroic from, you know, medical workers to go through this and, and, uh, and, and get better and help so many patients, especially in New York and places that had a very difficult time. 
very difficult time. And I'm, I'm glad it's much better. I mean, they, they obviously, even people, when they get sick, they get much, because we know more, we, we get much better treatments, much better results. And, and for sure, you know, this vaccination and everything is what's done by the government and all the uh, community and systems makes a huge difference. I hope we'll see when the tail end of it and I hope we'll see the light very, very soon. And we have the sum of the summer uh, as normal uh, as possible. Most definitely, most definitely. Um, I have a quick question for you, um, uh, Dr. Casanova. How long have you been practicing? Uh, I graduated medical school in 1990, so it, it makes <laughs> the same, you know, that's it's okay, you know, we, we, but I feel like I'm a constantly student, I'm, I'm learning and teaching, and when I know something, I want to make sure everyone around me knows, and then, uh, quite uh, quite often we we learn and we invent and that's why I, I feel like my life has a you know the stages and the medical career has a stages and and uh, we have a luxury we have a great organization we have more than 500 uh, people in our team amazing super strong doctors amazing staff and everyone from call center representative to you know the back office people that you know get approvals from insurances and our uh, a marketing department that uh, does awareness campaigns, everyone, people, medical assistants, nurses, everyone. And what's amazing is that there's an opportunity to focus what matters the most and where can we focus to make the most difference. And that's why we, in our organization, we focus on the most common curable diseases. Something that's very common, people suffer, sometimes don't even realize that they can stop suffering and we can cure, heal, get it done, basta, no more. So that's that's what we found the miracle of vein treatments. It's ultrasound guide that was very, very good and basically we can fix it. That's the miracle of uh, a fibroid treatments. Uterine fibroid embolization in our hands has less than 1.2% of need for recurrent procedure, it's nothing. After myomectomy, a minimal days of surgery, it's 30, 40, 50% chances that in two, three, four years, it will come back. So we took condition that people think that they, they have no choice, suffer, and we cure. And we're looking for more and more condition like this. Hopefully we'll, we'll be able to, we started it in treating cancer in earlier conditions and helping the people and hopefully we'll We'll keep going and make it, you know, more and more difference. Yes, I'm looking at the awards that you have won, Dr. Casnelson. I see in 1990 you won the Ural Medical Academy Award um, in Russia. Um, in 2002, the American Heart Saver American Heart Association Award. 2005, the Nation's Double Implant of New Tissue Heart Valve Award. Tell me. Um, if there's anything else that you take from doing what you do, um, what is the biggest thing that just keeps you going and fuels you in, in your field and in, in your practice? Listen, sometimes I, I just need to be in the right place in the right time. I mean, the, the, the American Heart Saver, I was, a, I was in the lecture then there were many, many interesting people and, and one guy just didn't, didn't feel good and then the, 
basically had a heart attack. So neurologist said that uh, um, he has a stroke. Uh, professor of uh, pulmonary care said, critical care, well, he stopped breathing. I was a cardiac surgeon, so I just put my hand on the pulse. I said, guys, he's dead, no, no heart. <laughs> so we start doing the CPR and uh, that was on the campus of University of Chicago, so ambulance game. And then, uh, and hour and a half later, uh, so we did this, you know, like shock and we revived him. Hour and a half later, I did a heart surgery on this guy and he was famous physicist. I was trained in space, you know, uh, uh, astronaut. So that was, and he's still alive. That was many, many years ago. But what really motivates is, uh, I feel that this, we have ability and obligation to make a difference. And uh, it's a, it's really a free will opportunity. If you put your mind to make a difference and it's real and you have a good people around you, you know, the family to support you and, and, and teammates to support you, just need to work towards the goal and get it done. And we have the best goal, improve lives, extend lives, make sure that people are happy in their lives. And, and, and that's, that's, a, that's a blessing to be a doctor. You know, we have a license and, and uh, an obligation and privilege to, to be able to help people. And uh, I, I don't even think it's a job. It's, 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 a, it, it's a great thing, you know, enjoy every minute. And I think everyone who around me that they're very much involved in the care, they, they take it as a, as a passion. Yes, because you're you're doing great things. Uh, you know, um, also see you active. You're actively involved in the Save a Child's Heart to, uh, you know that you know you you're, you're extending to children. You're making sure that they're fine and that that they're getting the best um, health opportunities as well. Can you tell me a little bit about that as well? So again, I was lucky when I was a, a resident in a heart surgery. It was in Israel. Uh, that was a a young American doctor came from uh, Washington, D.C. after Walter Reed and, and a fellowship in Toronto children. He was a pediatric cardiac surgeon. And uh, in our department of cardiac surgeon, Wilson, Holon, and suburb of Tel Aviv, there was no pediatric heart surgery. That was, uh, there were just uh, adults. And uh, his family got a call from friends from Ethiopia that heard that their son, you know, this Ami Cohen was a heart surgeon, pediatric heart surgeon, and I asked maybe that he can help. You know, Tel Aviv is, is closer to Ethiopia, this Ababa than America. And it seems impossible. How would you do that? He found a way. One girl, another girl, you know, the patient, the family living his house, and, and then step by step by step, it, it happened. Two years ago, this organization, Save a Child's Heart, received United Nations Population Award for treating more than 5,000 free, no-cost heart surgery for uh, young folk, for, for children from more than 50 countries. Plus, they created a pediatric heart surgery system in a few countries like Tanzania that many, many times you know, bigger than, than Israel or, or Ethiopia and other countries. And when you have examples like this in, in front of us, uh, in front of me, I, you start believing 
that everything is possible because they were able to create this program at just goodwill and, and helping of many, many volunteers and people that donated time and effort and, and money to, to help this uh, endeavor. So it's been uh, more than 25 years and it goes very, very strong. And now they've been, uh, built a hospital, uh, a seven story huge hospital that the best pediatric cardiac care hospital in the, in the whole part of the world, in the Middle East and all this part of the world. And, and uh, that was absolutely amazing. So it's just an example that uh, showed me that everything is possible. And uh, I hope our example of fibroid fighters and what we do will inspire many more people, not just take care of their own health, but do something to make a difference for others. Most definitely. I appreciate speaking with you, uh, Dr. Cass Nelson. Uh, I actually want to speak to you again in the future when there's more information and things that uh, we can speak about with your organization and, and things that you have coming in the future. It's been a real pleasure to have a conversation with you. We'll be delighted. Thank you so much. And thank you for the opportunity and, and bring awareness and knowledge about uh, fiber fighters and opportunity to treat fiber no. disease. No problem. Is there a website or anything where people can connect and find this information from you that you would like to share? Absolutely. It's www.usafibroidcenters.com and www.fibroidfighters.org. usafibroidcenters.com and fibroidfighters.org. And don't suffer in silence and the help is one click or phone call away. We'll be happy, delighted to help. Great, great. I thank you. I thank you greatly. Is there anything else you want to tell the people while I have you on here? Yes. Most important thing. What you heard today, that the fibroid disease, a painful, prolonged menstrual period suffering is not normal. Please share with everyone you know and ask them to share with everyone you know. And the second thing, Please know that there's a cure and it's called uterine fiber embolization should be number one uh, at treatment before deciding about anything else. And it's minimal invasive. Just Google, you'll get so much information and that would be fantastic. Just spread the word. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. Bye now. Thank you. Thank you for checking in with me here at the Living Room Podcast. Special shout out to Dr. Katz Nelson. Appreciate the information he has shared. Y'all make sure you Google him and Google Fibroid Fighters Foundation and see what information you guys can find because he's, he's sharing the information. He's getting the word out and he's spreading awareness for this. All right. So make sure you go follow him as far as his website and uh, make sure you follow me on IG at J-A-S-H-A-A-D 904 that's Jashad 904 and make sure you follow the Living Room Podcast on Facebook and be on the lookout for everything I have coming in the future because I got some amazing things in the works alright so I appreciate y'all for checking in with me and remember before you come in the Living Room take your shoes off <laughs>